Thank you for tuning in to Handling Business, the show for entrepreneurs on the go who are looking for answers to tackle their biggest obstacles. Have you ever wanted to call up a successful business owner and ask them how they got to the top? Have you ever wanted to ask a marketing expert or rock star lawyer just a few questions that could take you to the next level? We talk to mobile service industry experts who have been there and done that. This podcast is sponsored by Handler. If you're using clunky old scheduling software to run your mobile service business, your life could be so much easier. Handler is like Open Table meets Lyft for personal pet and home service providers who manage fleets of people on the go. Handler handles it all for you so that you can work smarter, not harder. All right, are you ready to handle your business like a boss? Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Handling Business. I'm your host, Britt Alvarud, and I'm excited to share David Levin's entrepreneurial story with you today. David Levin is the owner and CEO of Citizen Hound, a world-class dog walking company located in San Francisco. David started his business in 2011 and has built his business based on creating long-term committed relationships with his clients, their pups, and his staff. His hard work and dedication has earned Citizen Hound countless awards, including Best Dog Walkers in San Francisco of 2017 and 2015 in Bay Wolf Magazine. Also, Best Dog Walkers in the Bay Area 2017 and in the Bay Area A-List. He's also number two in the A-List for 2016 and 2015, number four in 2014 and 2013. So he has been getting tons of awards over the years. And he's also gotten Best Dog Walker in San Francisco by the SF Examiner in 2017. David also co-founded a dog walker certification course in response to San Francisco requiring a dog walker permit to walk dogs commercially, which we're going to dive into. David is the type of entrepreneur who faces challenges straight on and fights to find the solutions and answers to overcome his biggest obstacles. David, thank you for being on the show with me today. Thanks for having me. It is so great to be talking to you about your story because I was um, I was looking at San Francisco companies. Um, one of my friends was asking me if she if I knew of anybody or could find anybody for her dog because she was using Wagon Rover, and I thought, you know what? Let me let me help you out here. Let me find you a really professional service company. And I just so happened to stumble across your website, and I was super impressed by everything that you do and everything that you stand for. Thank you. Yeah. But before we get started, I want to ask you, where are you sitting right now? Just to give us some context. I'm at home. Uh, I'm in the kitchen at the kitchen table. Mm. I stepped away from the field today for this. So I'm headed back out to Chrissy Field after this to meet up with the team. Nice. Awesome. And thank you for taking the time to share your story with us because... It means a lot. We have a lot of listeners who some are just starting their business. Others have been in the business for a long time, but you know, we just always can learn from each other. So thank you. This may seem like a silly question, but if you were to be a type of dog, what would you be and why? It's a tough question, but I would say that I think some of my best traits are being loyal, being you know, stubborn in a good way, Hardworking, uh, down to earth, approachable, friendly, gregarious—you know—really want to please others. So, 
Mm-hmm. I would say that I would be a mix. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a purebred golden uh-huh. retriever and uh-huh. some sort of terrier. Oh, that would be a really cute mix. <laughs> a golden terrier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. And before we dive into Citizen Hound and how it all started, can you give us a, some background of what your life was like before you started your business? Sure. So in college, I got a degree in uh, advertising Mm -hmm. and it was more of a business oriented degree. So I knew I needed to, in order to get into the creative side of that industry, I needed to go to another program to put together a portfolio and figured I wanted to be a copywriter. So moved to San Francisco and did Miami ad school copywriter program and was all set to uh, move into that to that industry after the four years of university and then two years out here. So six years under my belt in training. And I started doing internships at the end of the two-year program. And you know, it just kind of wasn't what I had pictured personally. I think a lot of people would really find um, a, a great career path there, but you have to be so driven to produce uh, high quality work. And I was just, mm-hmm. I was more interested in the work-life balance. I was more interested in going in and having fun, but the constant creative demands, the fire drills, working weekends, working late, um, mm-hmm. it just didn't really feel like I wanted. And I, I figured it may have just been the small startup uh, firm that I was at and mm-hmm. thought, let me go to a place where I can get a little bit more uh, guidance uh, as a new person in this field. And it was during that switch when I was undergoing a lot of interviews. Um, you know, It was like a four interview, very lengthy process. I just said, I'm going to just do dog walking for now. This will be fun. And you know, I can always quit later. Um, and I, I loved it. And mm-hmm. I, it's been so long. It's been eight years. I don't really remember my whole thought process. But what I love is thinking about how nobody around me questioned my decision. Mm-hmm. You know, I never had anybody step in and be like, whoa, 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 wait, you're not going to do advertising? What happened to that? You know, it just, <laughs> I think everybody could see that I put a lot of thought into it, put a lot of planning into it, and it was going to happen. And um, I started as a, a um, employee at another business um, and actually everything fell into my lap. I met two girls on the beach who had uh, never been to college. So started Citizen Hound and at the age of 20. And then at 28, we're looking to find someone to um, take over the reins. So ah. I bought it from them. And um, it was just me in the beginning. Um, and I've built it up from there. That's so smart to go and buy a business that's already going because you have this experience working for another company. And then for you to go and seek out another company that you can take the reins of and you saw the opportunity there, that's so much easier than just starting totally from scratch. I mean, it's difficult because you have to come in and take over this business smoothly. So that's really hard. But you can like jump in and get going faster. It's like you accelerated your success there. You know, I was really young. Um, I think I was 25. Um, So 
it probably would have been really hard for me to figure out everything I needed to figure out on my own to get that thing up and running. Mm-hmm. But um, looking back on it now, I wouldn't have done it that way. Oh, I would really? not have bought another business. No, I think the purchase price was above what it would have cost me to have just taken a loan and lived off that that loan income and done a ton of advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had somebody build my website for me and. Um, afford all of my supplies and everything, I probably would have ended up paying less. Um, I may have had to work harder. I know mm-hmm. I would have had to work harder. But in the end, because I paid such a, you know, I paid a purchase price, I had to work off that uh, that expense. And so that mm-hmm. may be one of the first things that pushed me to towards growth. You know, I, I always knew that I wanted to, it to be more than just me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, a lot of people in my industry don't want that. Um, but the thing that pushed me towards a lot of growth is the necessity of paying off the initial purchase price. So a bit of a curse and a blessing at the same time. Interesting. Yeah, because you went and got a loan to pay the purchase price and then you had to mm-hmm. pay that back. And that's what a mm-hmm. lot of people don't realize is that there are a lot of opportunities for small business loans out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is a, it I mean, is it was a good way. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah. So have you um, purchased a client list since then or have you ever thought of doing that again? No, I, I uh, have been offered a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, I mean, two weeks ago, um, actually the guy who um, I worked for at first for those six months when I started, mm-hmm. um, he wanted to get out of his business. And he, uh, you know, we've maintained contact over the years um, and he thought of me first. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came to me and I looked at it, I thought about it, but um, it just, again, it was just like, I think I could pay, uh, you know, for Google ads and Yelp ads and mm-hmm. um, flyers and all this stuff and end up paying a lot less for uh, the same amount of clients and getting them naturally. And the, the other thing is that um, I think there's a big challenge with getting yourself, uh, you know, in any business, jumping levels. If you buy something, you're kind of jumping level. It's not really happening naturally. And mm-hmm. momentum will help me get to the level I would have been if I'd bought that company, um, if I just maintain that momentum. Um, if you take, if you kind of bite off more than you can chew, mm-hmm. um, you know, there could be stumbling blocks along the way. So yeah. I just feel like we've got such great momentum right now. It's kind of, it's not really in the cards for me to buy anything else. Um, mm-hmm. We're taking it one day at a time, growing. There's no growing pains here. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we just want to keep it smooth like that for, for everyone involved. So what do you think though, as far as like when you want to sell your business one day, if that's one of your goals, what are some things that you're going to kind of put in place to have that value to Mm -hmm. sell the business? Like what, I think that there's a big difference between selling a business and and selling a client list. Wouldn't you? Exactly. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I don't think that many people are thinking about that in this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So a long time ago, understanding what I had bought was a client list, I started to realize if I'm ever going to sell this, which at this point would just be from um, from extreme circumstances, um, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a need for that to arise. Um, I knew that there has to be systems and processes. There has to be um, mm-hmm. tangible things that someone would be buying besides just the client list. And so what we've tried to do is build a system for Citizen Hound to kind of run itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it takes positional leadership. Um, but I've kind of wanted to get it to a place where like, if I had to sell it to someone, they could come in. There's sort of an instruction manual. There's mm-hmm. um, systems that are um, easy to understand, and it can be done without me. Yep, that's the sign of a um, healthy business. And also, yeah. for like, what if something happened to you? God forbid. Exactly. Or I always used to think that, like, God, what if I were in a coma for a month? What would happen to my business? I mean, that's probably exactly not, probably a negative way of looking at it, but. <laughs> It is, but it's good to be prepared. And I have definitely thought about that. I mean, what if I was in a coma for a month or what if I died? I mean, my, my wife is going to need to have, uh, you know, she's not, she might probably wouldn't run Citizen Now and she might, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but she could be interested in selling it um, and, and needing that revenue. So yeah, you got to think about these things. Yeah. And exactly. I just wanted to make it, I wanted to make it, um, uh, strong for itself, but also strong in case of emergency. Plans mm-hmm. to sell it are not in the cards. Um, that's I'm probably going to have it, you know, maybe forever. Who knows? Yep, definitely. All right. So David, when did you know that your business was really starting to take off in the early days? Um, I guess it's kind of hard to point out um, a specific um specific milestone for that. Uh, There was a sense. So first I hired um, one guy, Billy. It was me and Billy for about a year. Um, Those were the good old days. That was a (laughs) lot of fun. Um, Me and Billy got in trouble from the other dog walkers at the beach because we would take off our shirts and shoes and just be wearing bathing suits. And they were saying it didn't give a professional look. Um, But we were just two young guys having fun. And um, I was really lucky to have Billy. He really helped me um, understand what it took to have an employee um, because he was a little bit older and was kind of taking a sabbatical from a serious career. Mm. So um, that was very beneficial. Uh, Then it became me and Billy and Jake. And then uh, Jake, um, Billy left, and it was me, Jake, and Kaylin, uh, who incidentally became my wife later. So you may want to bring up that. That's Um, amazing. So your business kind of brought you guys together? It did. Oh, I love that. Yes, no kidding. Technically speaking, we met on Craigslist. (laughs) uh, Because that's where I found her as an employee. Uh Uh-huh. so, you know, if you want to bring that up again, we can. Um, but to stick to the original topic, it just started to get to a point where I guess word of mouth and an mm-hmm. online reputation started to make things exponential. 
And, um, you know, you just, I just started taking in more and more customers and needing more and more people. And it, it just, it was just fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's just a mark where you, um, you know, things just start to multiply on them, on themselves, especially the word of mouth thing. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah. That's what I tell friends. people when they first start. I'm like, just hold on. You just got to get that snowball going with the word of mouth and then things really start taking off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit about getting your brand out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there was one thing in the very beginning uh, that I noticed, okay, we've really got something here. Um, so, like I said, I, I had four years of experience in advertising and two years in a school dedicated to writing. Well, we also worked with artists. Mm. Um, so you pair a copywriter with an art director to create these mock campaigns in the student form. But we had to take a lot of art classes to understand their field and vice versa. And I actually got some training in user experience, web design, um, and just design in general. Mm-hmm. and use that to create my first uh, website all on my own. Um, at the time, this being eight years ago, there really was not very many good dog walking websites out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hate to say the it, but people, there's still not. <laughs> there's still not, I know. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot more than there was. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, they there just weren't that many and they weren't very good. And the first people that were coming in as my clients, they were telling me, oh, I saw your website. I loved it. It was great. Um, you know, that was always the first thing I was hearing mm-hmm. from these inquiries. I loved your website. And I, I realized that we're in San Francisco. People here have taste. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a big tech industry. They aren't going to go pick someone with a really crappy website. They're just not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got to be beautiful. And um, I just pushed for better and better design, switched it between a few platforms. I mean, this process of building this website to where it is today, this took so many hours. Mm-hmm. It's indescribable how hard it is for someone with very little... Um, knowledge of having built websites before, and you know, modest ability to to um, design to come in and take it to where it is. Um, but the good thing about that is that I understand all of the components mm-hmm. and studied SEO like crazy in the beginning. Search yeah. engine optimization. How do I get to be the number one on Google? Mm-hmm. And I know so much more than any of my competitors about that. It's a natural process. You can't just appear there overnight. You start moving up from the lower ranks to the higher ranks. Mm-hmm. And uh, soon enough, I became number one. Wow. So and what's, if what's you're on the, the first page, people are... that you did, you think that uh, contributed to that? Um, the main thing, I don't want to give away too much of my playbook, but I will say that you need to know what's out there and not just in your local market, but nationwide. What are people doing that's really good? Mm-hmm. What are people doing that you really like that you can incorporate? Um, of course, one of the main tips is making sure you have keywords. So you do need a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a copywriter by trade, so I know what words to put in and where to put them. And um, 
So, you know, that was a big thing. Um, just mm-hmm. making sure that the language is good. And then just understanding, you know, with copywriting, the big thing is how do you get a lot from a little? Um, how do you make everything punchy and smart and stick with people? How do you make things sticky? Mm-hmm. And what is my core concept? What do I want people to feel when they land there? Um, mm-hmm. What's their takeaway so that when they are done investigating all their different options, they you know can't get us out of their head as their top choice and just encapsulating that in the language and the pictures and the flow. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked on me. <laughs> That's how I, I found you. <laughs> Yeah, and when you told me, um, you know that was familiar territory. People, people like the website. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's it's really awesome. And if people want to go check it out, if they're listening now, um, what is your website? Um, just for those listening, it's citizenhoundsf.com, mm-hmm. and citizenhound.com actually auto forwards as well. So ah, perfect, good. Okay. And then also let's talk about, I want to talk about some of the biggest hurdles that you came across when you first started your business, because this is where things get interesting and people can really relate. And also they might be experiencing the same thing. And if you have any advice, that would be amazing. (laughs) First hurdles. Um, That is a tough question, but I've come to learn things that that redefine what happened in the beginning um, it with more light. And one of the big things that's really interesting is this idea I read recently. If you're looking for the most capable leader of an organization, there is the curse of charisma. Mm. Um, so char- the curse of charisma is if the person who's leading your organization has charisma, they naturally attract people around them. But then if something happens... Um, mm-hmm. If you lose trust, if you know you upset someone, and they start to question you at all, they start to. I think there's this natural tendency for them to say, "Do I just trust this guy because of his charisma, or does he have any actual uh, leadership skills? Does he have any actual selling points other mm-hmm. than that?" And in the beginning, this was like I said with Billy, it was just fun. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I started to incorporate more and more people, there was a need for me to get a little more serious. And, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're working with more and more different types of personalities and, you know, not getting quite as lucky as with, as I did with Billy. So having a couple uh, employee hurdles and I just, there was a need for me to get serious and Mm -hmm. self-examine and understand there's got to be more than just my charisma that leads things. Um, especially when, you know, any business, any small business, um, where you've got employees and it's starting to get bigger, there's going to be stress and having Mm -hmm. to manage that stress, uh, became, I I guess that's a hurdle I needed to jump through. So I worked with a therapist on just how to get through some of the, uh, the stressful things going on that are inherent in the business and and getting some uh, mechanisms there for taking care of that. 
What um, would some of those mechanisms be? Because I think that's something that is an affliction in, in the pet care industry is that we give so much and mm-hmm. we are so focused on you know the clients and the pets. But then when you have team members, sometimes you can lean on them too much or be too honest with them or just blow up because you're you're stressed out about something and accidentally talk badly about somebody else and but a leader needs to be kind of that that calm, you know, balanced, strong person all the time, which can be really mm-hmm. hard to do. You do have to dig deep. Um do you have any advice for someone who might be more reactive to stress or somebody who is struggling with that? Yeah. Um the first thing I think was systematically I needed to implement work hours and call hours with the clientele mm-hmm. um, because they've got my cell phone and you know they might text you in the, back in the day they might have texted me or called me about these logistics and they're interrupting my downtime um, mm-hmm. you know at all hours it could have been some people were contacting me I remember at like 11 p.m. or even 12 a.m. Um, or 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and there just wasn't work hours. And it's just like thinking of the best athletes in the world. Um, if you're looking at getting a high level of performance out of yourself, mm-hmm. there has to be as much focus on the time you spend practicing and training, um, focused on your craft, as there is resting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go out there and run, you know, 25 miles a day every day. You've got to take a few days off to rest, uh, stretch, relax, do massage, whatever it is. If you're an athlete, and there's got to be downtime when you're running a business. Um, you've yeah. got to go out there and have. Uh, you've got to be able to turn your work brain off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just rewrote the the client contract and started putting in stipulations. And then when I was doing my initial consultations with my clients, I was very clear about text and phone call. Okay. Nine to five, but outside that email me, I'm not going to start a work day without checking my emails. There's no reason to call or text about something. You know, I know you've got something come up, something's come up for you and you want to mm-hmm. make sure you're taken care of the next day. My guarantee is I'm going to check my email. Um, and if you're calling or texting and interrupting a meal with friends, it's not going to get taken care of at that time anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no point. Um, I, and the I, other thing what, is what we did with um, when we were trying to kind of, I guess, train our clients, <laughs> train, you train dogs and sometimes you have to train people, but we mm-hmm. would put in the signature of our email, the business hours, just as a reminder. And then also you can turn on a, um, an auto reply that says, you know, um, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You've reached us out of office hours. Mm-hmm. That that helped, but I also think that like what we've been trying to implement in our management is um, office hours for the employees too, and not because it's really yeah. easy to go. Oh, I'm going to text so and so at nine o'clock at night and see if they can fit in this dog walk tomorrow at eight a.m. Yeah, but that's not fair to the employees, and that can burn them out just as well. I'm totally in your boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I'm a stickler about that with them as well. 
Um, I don't do it to them and I expect that they'll not do it to me. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, it's just experience. Like I said, in the advertising industry of not having a work-life balance, there's gotta be a time for it to be on and off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was big. And then, um, other tips would just be, uh, you know, you, you're in charge of a lot when you're the one running the show out there with employees that haven't been doing this as long as you. And um, they sometimes see you're, you're, you being stressed out. It's important to not to put out the energy you expect to get back. You know, if you want right. if you want your staff to take things in stride, you've got to show them how it's done. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, tr- not necessarily hiding your stressors from the staff, but just being aware of what energy, is being shared. Um, and, you know, I ask of the uh, people that come in, I ask, especially their references, what kind of energy they'll share in the workplace because um, even, you know, stress can be infectious and anxiety can be infectious at any level. Uh-huh. Um, so I make sure that there's also outside work time now. Um, I budget in bar time with the staff and paying for their drinks or, uh, randomly taking one of them out for lunch and paying for lunch and sitting down with them. Um, Mm -hmm. Coffee, you know, just 15 minutes. Number one, it's good for them to be able to see you outside of, uh, of work hours and Mm -hmm. uh, make memories together and and not have to deal with any of that stuff. And they get to see your true self. Um, Mm -hmm. But the, the other thing about it is um, uh, just, giving them a forum, uh, especially with like coffee or lunch, giving them a forum so that it's not, everything's not in passing during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and really we, we have advice. a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun. We've actually, for the past few years, we've been doing, um, company outings. I think our first one was going and floating the river, the American river. Oh, um, fun. Jake, the second employee I ever had, he moved to Sacramento for a little while and uh, gave us his floor space, and we all went out and floated the river. Um, we've gone on, I've rented a big van and put everybody in it, and we went up and hiked uh, a mountain nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty soon, we've got a N64 game tournament. So we're going to be playing Arco <laughs> Kart and Donkey Kong. It's just fun to, <laughs> yeah, it's just fun to have these outside work opportunities where the team gets to bond. Um, Love that. And um, you also mentioned when we were talking the other day that you put on a really fun big event for your clients. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, So coming up August 18th, we're doing our annual. This is the uh, seventh. No, this is the eighth annual uh, client appreciation picnic. So every year on the anniversary of when I took over, um, because what the girls did to introduce me to their clients when I first took over was have a picnic. We do the same thing. And it's gotten to the point now where you know, we, we've got 100 dogs that we're taking care of a day. So there's potentially more than 100 people oh at our gosh. picnic. And I always pay for all the food and drinks. And we go out to the beach and there's all the dogs. And people get to see the dogs that they've seen in pictures from their Aww. dog's group and um, meet their neighbors because a lot of these people are neighbors. We have a real tight service area um, and the whole staff. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, we're, we're not in a, a face-to-face kind of business. Um, a lot of these people, the reason why we're doing what we're doing is because they're out, they're at work. So we don't get to see them a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the face-to-face opportunity or the big one of the year. And then um, randomly throughout the year, we'll just go to the dog park and tell everyone to be there at this time and they can come out and um, hang out. But the big one is the client appreciation picnic. How fun. And that's a genius idea. And I talk to a lot of business owners and I haven't heard of too many businesses doing something like that. So um, yeah, I I thought about not mentioning it on the podcast because I don't (laughs) want to be stolen, but you know, it didn't, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of thought when you, when it fits into the principles and the principle is that we're in the relationship business Mm -hmm. and when you're in a relationship with someone, that's the sort of thing you do. You make sure there's FaceTime with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see them outside of work or um, you know, service, the service business that we've provided. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was just natural. Yep. And you know, I sure I'm sure that your wife really appreciates that outlook on life too. <laughs> Cause you're probably building your business so that you have time with her and time with family and friends. Mm-hmm. And people need to remember that, um, you know, it's not all about business all the time. Uh, you have mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to step away and enjoy life and then step back into business and be fired up and ready to go. I totally agree. There's an F there's a Facebook group that I'm a part of. It's something like, um, I always forget the the exact title, but I own a pet sitting business with employees mm-hmm. um, where it's a forum where people get to talk about all these, um, these situations that they're in. And one of the big things is I don't have the ability to step away. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're a one person operation, all the clients rely on you all the time. There's no sick days. I didn't have a sick day or a vacation day for like three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I eventually found someone who all they did was cover vacation days for other service professionals, and she was a godsend. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's booked up all year, all year long now. And she, that's I was her very first client. Wow, uh, that's a niche yeah, right there. So that is a niche, and I'll tell you, more are needed. There's only like two or three big vacation coverage names that I routinely see used on the forums in San Francisco. Um, But that is tough because you got to come in. You don't know where any of these dogs live. You don't know any of these clients. You don't know any of the dogs. You got to have some real skills. And Christina, the girl who um, was the one to do it first, she was legit. And I felt completely comfortable. She shadowed me for one day. Um, I gave her all the information she needed and we were able to take a vacation Wow. Um, so that is an itch. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Interesting. Maybe you could put me in touch with her and I'll have her on the show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Will do. And it's also a really good practice too to step away because then you're getting those things down on paper. So it's like a mm-hmm. good way to kind of force yourself to put those, you know, those things down on paper and hand them over to someone else to take over. Um, I completely agree. I I always wondered with Chris if Uh the other people that she was servicing were able to package up the information and give it to her as as easily as I could because I'm used to bringing in new employees and um, giving them route information, turn-by-turn directions, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the client... uh, contact information, emergency contact information, all that stuff. So 
it, it, it is really packaged up and I literally can um, hand this over to another professional and they know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is amazing. And this would also be a good thing for someone who really wants to travel a lot. So, mm-hmm. so for her, it's probably perfect because then she can step in and step out whenever she wants to instead of having you know a business where she constantly has to be there. Oh, she does that. She books uh, trips for herself and will not take um, coverage reservations during that time. So mm-hmm. she gets to travel as much as she want as she wants. She's she's kind of you know semi retired before this. Mm-hmm. Um, so travel became a real big thing for her, and she gets to keep that. You know, you don't have to lose that mm-hmm. being in this industry, but a lot of people do. A lot of people don't have vacation or um, or sick days or anything. So. Yeah, interesting. I know I'm on those groups too on Facebook and and it's tough for me because, you know, I I want to tell them like there's things like Handler out there which automates all of this, all these processes, like having, you know, client information and notes on everything and then being able to, you know, automate your scheduling so that your team members they get booked based on your open availability if there's 10 spots in a in a pack hike group and they get automatically booked with their last pack hiker and then there's um, you know, all of that happens behind the scenes and is automated. I'm like, you guys, there's a way easier way of doing things, but I can't mm-hmm. really tune in and chime in on there. <laughs> I get in trouble. Not too much. Yeah. Um, cause you're self-promoting, but yeah, you know, um, but there's been a big push in the past couple of years for things like handler. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies have been putting their, their hands in it. Um, I mm-hmm. think, um, uh, there was a company whistle whistle. They make the, the, uh, most ubiquitous GPS trackers for dogs. Uh And they sold, I believe they sold to a large corporation like Mars or something huge like that. And then um, they tried to create something like what you've done. Mm -hmm. But it takes a a real working knowledge of what what is needed um, to create the right product. Uh, Too many of the products like that are lacking um, and they're, they're not like one size fits all, you know, cause there's right. so much variation in how people are doing their models. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be able to incorporate those aspects that are needed for them. And I, I think it's, it's really wonderful to have those tools. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's game changing. Totally. Um, I actually, what I wanted to talk to you about is more of your business model because yours is unique where, you know, a lot of people on the groups that I'm talking about, they're pet sitters or they just do one-on-one dog walking, but your model is a little bit different. Can you describe it? Um, Our core is the dog walking. Uh, We're doing group off-leash dog walking and we're in we're not in enclosed uh, areas. So we're at big open beaches or in big open forests. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we screen really hard. Um, only certain dogs can do this and uh, only certain people can do this. Um, so besides that coming off the core, we don't want too many uh, offshoots that stretch us very far. But what I like to tell people is we're a canine concierge service. Mm-hmm. So once you've signed up for one of our dog walking monthly packages, 
you know, all of the dogs that are with us every day, they're routine users. They're all on monthly packages. We don't do short term. Mm. Um, and do they sign so yeah, up like, for once a week or do they have to do five days a week? How does that work? For So originally we were doing um, that they would just pick their their preferences and that they would be routinely scheduled. So someone might want Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they're on the schedule repeating for Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't do anything where the schedule wasn't repeating. Um, And then they could cancel or change from there. But a couple of years ago, it just became so hard to manage the puzzle. Mm -hmm. This dog does Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Well, now I've got the Tuesday, Thursday slots to sell. Um, it takes me weeks to find someone who wants exactly Tuesday, Thursday. More likely they want Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now I've got two dogs on Friday um, with you know an extra spot. And it's it just became a really, really big puzzle when you've got you know 15, 20 clients like that. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to just do five days a week. It doesn't fit what everybody needs, but there mm-hmm. are other service providers out there doing other things this is our model and I'm trying to stick to it. Um, Ah. It's limiting, but it also helps us concentrate. So I think a lot of the growth has come from finding that core concept and having a rubric. I say no to this. I say yes to this. Um, And with the five-day-a-week model, we've Mm -hmm. got real consistency. All the walkers know what they're doing every single day. I don't have to manipulate the schedule much day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people can cancel, but uh, it doesn't affect the monthly price. It's like a, um, a, uh, it's like, like a rent club, on the spot. Kind of. mm-hmm. Yeah, like a club. And um, so it's a reduced rate. You know, a lot of people charge 30, 35 a, a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, we're way below that. And the, the thing is because of consistency. I know what I'm getting paid at the end of the month before the, the end of the month. Uh-huh. We can hit budgets. We can do projections. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because of the five-day-a-week thing. And then we get to know these dogs so well. We know what they're going to do before they know they're going to do it. And we can do pet sitting. We can do groomer runs. We can do vet runs. We can do weekend walks. Someone mm-hmm. wants to go to Napa. So those are all the offshoots, but they really touch um, the core model. Um, wow. The furthest away from the core is something that we're going to be doing soon, which I haven't announced to anybody yet. Um, We're going to be making dog products. So we actually found material. uh, It's called, well, I I won't give the name, but it's um, you can wipe it clean with soap and water. So most dog leashes are made of cotton or um, nylon, something like that. Even the high quality ones, rope, leather, these things get dirty. You can't clean them. They get ratty. Um, Especially in our business where we're putting a drop line on a dog where we'll put the leash on them, but we'll drop the leash so they can run around with the leash and we can just pick up the leash whenever we want, Uh um, which we might do on a dog who's a little hand shy, something like that. So if they pee on it or poop on it, I mean, it's gone. You know, like I can't really clean that thing. Um, So we just created cleanable leashes and they're high quality um, and we're going to start selling locally. Cool. Um, but we've been able to cut down on costs of buying products from someone else. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really a win-win. And it's still kind of in that core concept of being in the relationship business and mm-hmm. um, just being a canine concierge service, having everything you could want for your dog. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And especially the five-day-a-week thing. Oh my God, so smart. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you're also, you know, you're you're figuring out your exact avatar of a client, which is probably most likely professionals that are working all day long, right? Or that that's probably a majority of your clients. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. the majority of the clients, overwhelming majority of the clients, have Monday through Friday work. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are commuting to either the downtown area or south of here to. Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And um, it's long hours, you know, hard work. Um, and uh, they need Monday through Friday. There's not mm-hmm. very many people that don't. Some people can work from home every now and then. But if you're working from home, you're working from home. So mm-hmm. you still need a dog walker, or it's nice anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I really, I get the fact that some people don't need that. I get the fact that some people want three days a week or two days a week, maybe they can't afford our package. And I, I especially feel bad for the people that can't afford it, but I've learned that to be a uber successful company, mm-hmm. you have to have what's called a hedgehog concept. And that's from the book, Good to Great. Um, it's a really cool story he tells about the fox and the hedgehog and how the fox is wily, he's smart, uh, he's a, a skilled hunter, and he's got all these tricks in his, in his book you know, the tricky mm-hmm. fox. And then he's hunting a hedgehog and the hedgehog has one trick in his book. He can turn into a ball of spikes. So he can walk out onto a field eating shrubbery and the fox is sneaking from tree to tree and getting really close and, um, you know, is ready to pounce. And the hedgehog probably saw him coming and does not care mm-hmm. because at any moment he can turn into a ball of spikes that's the one thing he's got, but it's oh. the best thing in the world for defense. You know, uh-huh. it cannot be beat. You can't eat this guy. And um, so it's just finding that core thing. What is the one thing you do that's the best in the world or that that's the best round that you can do better than anyone else and don't do anything else? Yep. That's so, so true and really, really good advice. So, being you know along with this all this awesome advice um i have to ask you what what are some of your oh my gosh john please edit that out <laughs> thank god i have an editor okay <laughs> i wanted to get back to um okay okay are you ready yeah so what are the pros and cons of offering off-leash group services? Because a lot of people are afraid of that. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people would be afraid of telling their clients, I only offer five days a week. And how do you protect those spikes? Or how do you put those spikes out on your hedgehog all the time consistently instead of wavering? <laughs> um, that is a really tough question. It's just not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um it is you constantly have to be concerned with safety as your top priority. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have systems in place. You've got to have protocol for everyone. Um, emergency protocol. Um, it you need to have an understanding of dog training. You yes. need to know how to create 
the image you want to see. You're going to have people that reach out to you that have puppies and they don't know how to do this. And in order to stay in your company, they're going to need to learn how to do it well. Um, you've got to be able to identify the dogs that you're bringing in, screening them, seeing the characteristics that work well with that model and that don't. Um, it is a lot of work. And I know mm -hmm. a lot of service professionals in this industry that don't do that for their own particular reasons. Um, you know, maybe they're a little bit more like Wagon Rover, but locally based. Mm -hmm. So they're just doing on leash walks and they can have a lot of employees and it doesn't take as much training. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's hard, but mm -hmm. the pros are, should be pretty evident for anyone who loves dogs as much as I do. Mm -hmm. uh, that is what you want to be doing with the dog. You walking around the neighborhood with them on leash, that's all right. But playing with them in big open spaces when yes. they're in heaven, mm -hmm. you're in heaven too. Yep. That is so true. And they need to be off leash. Could you imagine if humans were constantly tethered to something all the time? I, I really, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by so many people who will not take their dog off leash. Yeah. You know, I kind of get it because if they haven't had the training when they were growing up, sometimes they're just not a good candidate for it. But uh -huh. um, it's just sad. Um, these are beings that don't want to be tethered all the time. Yep. And they have so much fun, especially mm -hmm. around where we live in San Francisco. And I know you're down in Southern California. We've got these beautiful coastal areas and mm -hmm. hiking and so much beauty around us to to share with them. and. It's just that spirit. You know, yep. I, I always remember the um, area where I first started walking dogs was kind of untamed when I started. There weren't any trails uh, that were landscaped. There weren't any like fences. It was just this, um, this like gulch uh, with tall grass. And I would just stand at the top of the hill and throw the ball to the bottom of the hill and everybody would chase down to the bottom and then run back up again. And Oh my gosh. Um, they must have been exhausted and happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you just get to see that smile on their face when they're running through the tall grass on a bright, sunny day. And you're like, wow, this is what they want to be doing. Yeah. Um, and it's just fun. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, there's that benefit. But you know, mm -hmm. it, it it's scary territory. I mean, there's been, you know, there's always safety concerns. Um, mm -hmm. One of the hardest was, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a tough story that might scare people away from doing off-leash altogether, but you um, you need to be aware of the, uh, the weather reports. Um, oh. I was out at a coastal property uh, that's right, you know, the waves are breaking from the Pacific Ocean and uh, there's heavy tide there. And most of the time, it's not that bad. I mean, you don't really want to go swimming in it, but when the mm -hmm. water's, you know, if, if the dogs are playing in the shallows, you can throw the ball in and they can go swim out and get it and what have you. But um, sometimes the tide gets really strong and we're walking down the beach and what's called a sneaker wave came in. So a sneaker oh wave just comes way further than the last waves have been coming. You know, you're, you're walking on dry sand and then all of a sudden um, you got to run because you're about to get wet. And uh, not too big of a deal for most of the dogs, but I had a small dog with me who got swept in and I didn't know that the dog couldn't swim. 
Oh, um, but <laughs> that probably would have been good for the owner to, to let me know going to the beaches as I do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, he started to get further and further out and it was November. I had to take off all of my winter gear and I had to get in the water and lose my breath oh my and swim gosh. out and get him in these giant waves. And, uh, he started to struggle to stay afloat. Um, <gasps> uh, I'm, str- I'm trying to get him for probably, I mean, it was probably 60 seconds, but of course that felt like five minutes mm-hmm. um, because he'd get hit by a wave and disappear and I'd have to get hit by that wave and then come out and find where he was and swim towards him and not make it all the way and then eventually reach him and grab him and uh, pull him in, did mouth to nose CPR, got him into the um, emergency room with practically no clothes on and <laughs> um, he survived. And uh, it was intense. I mean, if I wasn't a strong swimmer, I could have died. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. If I had a CPR, he would have died. Oh, my gosh. That's terrifying. Yeah. Whoa. Well, so, thank God you had the wherewithal to just jump in and get him. A lot of people just would have panicked. I Yeah. I mean, that's one thing is that I've always kind of been proud of myself about is in any situations where there is an emergency scenario, Uh I just go into a computer mode. You know, what is the next (laughs) logical step? Let's take it. I don't have emotion. I just get it done. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's been very important over the years, um, for taking care of any crises. Yep. Um, And as a business owner, that's basically what you do is you're just a firefighter. You're constantly you know, putting I'm, things out and constantly having to react to problem-solving scenarios. Well, the big thing is being proactive. And uh-huh. this came up in training with my manager uh, recently because we've been doing a lot of focus training for um, my manager, Eric, and my uh, newest assistant manager, Cynthia, uh, mm-hmm. chief happiness officer is her official title. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I wanted to make sure that they were thinking proactively so that it's not necessarily um, them being firefighters, but Mm -hmm. them being in charge of a fire brigade and um, just having, um, just having a proactive mindset is something that I push in them and the staff. You need to know what problems could arise before they arise. You need to know what the dogs will do before they know that they're going to do it. Uh-huh. Um, one of my big maxims is I deal with ideas, not behaviors. If you're dealing with behaviors, you're behind the eight ball. Uh-huh. So you've got to be one step ahead as a dog walker and um, think proactively. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And with your staff, um, is that what you have really been implementing? Because you were talking about that, how you've been um, really thinking about your mission statement and... Um, mm-hmm thinking about leadership within within your company. So what are some mm-hmm. things that you've been doing there? Well, yeah, a long time ago, uh, probably six years ago now, um, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and it really touched me. Um, and one of the big things is creating a mission statement. Mm-hmm. Um, in that book, it's not just about business, it's also about family or... Um, sports or anything. I mean, you can, you can always use a mission statement because what it does is it gives everyone a shared sense of purpose and drive. Understanding the goal is, you know, a a big part of the battle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
So everyone being on the same page and understanding what the goal is and creating that rubric that they can measure decision points up against uh, was very important. It was an or, it was a, a process that everyone took part in. You know, I didn't hand them a mission statement. We took many weekends of coming together and brainstorming, coming up with uh, keywords and separating and writing out sentences and then pulling out fragments from sentences we liked and uh, coming up with it together. And the core of it is we're in the relationship business, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, And it does speak to safety being number one, or as Mm -hmm. I say, uh, safety first, friendship second. Um, And yeah, I think it's just really important to have on paper in something that they're seeing often, you know, that the book talks about if you're in a uh, brick and mortar location, your, your business, I mean, your mission statement needs to be up on the wall mm-hmm. um, so that people see it. They have it ingrained. And for us, anytime someone's going to get a raise, it doesn't happen unless they can say the mission statement. So <laughs> that's one of the bullet points. Um, I like but that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot about that proactive mindset and a lot uh-huh. about safety, but a lot about, um, creating relationships with your teammates, your clients, and your dogs, mm-hmm. um, and what what those relationships mean. You know, spelling them out. Things like, um, you know, we're in San Francisco. You've got the Golden Gate Bridge and you've got the Bay Bridge, and we put we're the we're the most important bridge in this city between dogs and their owners. Ooh, that's good too. Yeah, so that's part of the mission statement. Nice. And speaking of giving a raise. Um, Everybody compensates differently in the pet care industry. There's some people that are, you know, paying by the dog, by the service, by the hour. And um, what are what are some ways that, or how do you compensate your employees, and how do you keep them motivated? Um, so we just, I, I, it was probably just naturally went to the hourly model mm-hmm. at first, and have kept it and honed it since then. Um, and it works for us. Um, you know, I think that when a potential employee is thinking about becoming a dog walker, they, it's much, much different than being in a different kind of service industry, like being a barista or a, um, uh, a waiter or, um, you know, a daycare worker or what have you, but Mm -hmm. they're all listed in the same place. You know, mm-hmm. people are finding them on Localize or Craigslist. So they're kind of in the same vein. You know, mm-hmm. it's not really the next step up would be an office job. Um, but that's the way they're modeled is hourly. That's what people are familiar with. And that's kind of what they're planning for when they get into the industry. So for me, it works really well. Um, and then I get to make them W-2. Um, which is really right. important. A lot of other people do 1099 and it's not, it may not even be legal. Um, mm-hmm. And I know of one business when I was first starting in my first year, one of the big dogs was this company. Uh, he had a lot of employees and the government found out he was doing independent contractors illegally and uh, he had back taxes to pay and it pretty much bankrupted him and everything fell apart. So, I mean, there's that side of it. You need need to be doing what's legal. Um, But eventually I discovered 
I think the uh, one of the turning points was this. Um, well, it was the idea of how do you incentivize your staff to keep them motivated and dedicated, um, and people like consistency. I looked at That's this so uh, graph. Mm-hmm. I looked at this graph and it said, "What do employees want most in their compens their compensation?" And uh, I think it was the biggest one, the number one thing. Forty five percent of people said uh, consistency, so they wanted a salary. Mm-hmm. So I decided, okay, let's get there. Let's get to the point where we can start offering salary. And it was meager at first, and has since grown and grown um, as the business has, because you know I'm a big proponent of. Uh, making sure that the uh, staff grows along with the business or their income grows along with the business so that there's incentive for them to want to grow. Um, and uh, so it starts as hourly during training um, where things can be kind of, they can change from day to day. You know, I might have someone do their full day, but then sit down with me for more training after hours. Um, and for about the first year, it's, uh, dollar increases, but then it becomes salaried, and then we're jumping. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, raises are then like in the thousands, um, mm-hmm. and I just think people really enjoy that. Um, you know what your paycheck's going to be. You don't have to worry about missing work and missing income. Um, it feels good. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of an acknowledgement of. You know, we really want you to be a part of this for a long time. We're thinking long term here, not the next hour, but the next year. Here's your annual income. Uh, so yeah, those are the two things we do. Um, bonuses, you know, are definitely incorporated. Um, if someone can hand out their business card and give us a referral, or we do mm-hmm. uh, Yelp. And uh, Google review bonuses. So if one of my staff is mentioned in a five-star review on any platform, um, well, any of the major platforms, um, they get a bonus. Ah, um, that's smart. Yeah. And then I'll do little things here and there, although typically for, um, for things like this, I don't like to do monetary as much because I just don't think it's as, as big a driver. But you know, acknowledging when someone's done something really well or, or just kind of the power of moment mm-hmm. um, is another book that I read recently that I really love. So like if someone just graduated from training, um, there's a big moment at the company for them. We all sit down together. Everyone goes around and does a compliment circle, which was actually something that happened to me at a like a kegger when I was in college. So <laughs> we, everybody's drunk. And someone says, hey, let's do a compliment circle. And they push someone in the middle and everyone around them starts giving them compliments. And you may not <laughs> and you give them compliments. And it like it feels really awesome. So oh, I, I was like, that. I'm bad at the business. And we all do a compliment circle. Um, and I just think it kind of um, endears the new person to those around them and shows them that we're all watching. You know, we've been watching mm-hmm. and we've noticed this and that. Um, so just kind of recognition besides just the compensatory stuff uh, is very mm-hmm. important. Along that vein, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? There's so many things. Um, it's hard to nail down the uh, top three, but I definitely know the top, the number one. 
um, because it, you know it's kind of recent in my mind. But I mentioned uh, moving one of my walkers up to a managerial position recently. Cynthia, um, mm-hmm. she started with me I think about four years ago, and then at about her two year mark, she left the company uh, to follow her passion, uh, rugby. And um, eventually worked for Play Rugby USA, but then she came back mm-hmm. about a year ago now, um, which was an awesome moment. But when she first started was right when we were writing the mission statement. It was right when I started putting together a lot of these systems and processes and having tangible products. And uh, it was a you know slow work in progress because when you're a business owner, the day to day can bog you down. Mm-hmm. You know you. You have so many things on your plate today, so many emails, so many calls that it's hard to work towards a long-term goal sometimes. So it's, it was a slow work. And um, after she left, um, we hit one of the hardest points in company history because I had um, a, a bunch of really great staffers and um, they all left suddenly. Uh, at the beginning of 2017, and that was incredibly difficult um, to manage. Uh, three people putting in their notice at the same time, and then another yeah, yeah, person yeah. leaving a few months down the line, and another person leaving a few months down the line. I mean, me crying and being like, what is going on here? How do I stop this? Clients being like, how do you stop this? Yeah. And uh, the one of the big things was exit interviewing the people who were leaving. I got some fantastic tips and was really pushed to increase my um, my uh, focus on those systems and processes and development in myself and in the company. Um, and when Cynthia came back, she sat me down and told me she was blown away by the difference in where things were before she left and where they were when she came back. And that was a really proud moment because that was mm-hmm. that was the payoff, you know. Um that was that was recognition from someone who I really respected. And uh mm-hmm. it was huge. Um so we've been really dedicated to continuing that. And uh I just think it's it's the momentum it's kind of the momentum from that that moment of Cynthia coming back that and saying those things and becoming part of leadership that's really rocketed us and and just feels we feel really strong right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to get through those moments that are the most difficult or the lowest or things that you never thought that you could survive. It's amazing mm-hmm. how much you grow from them and how if you have the mindset of, well, how do I solve this problem then? And how do I use that in the future to prevent it or to, um, you know, just to, just to get to the next level? Um, it's amazing the growth that can happen from that. And I think people that Mm -hmm. get really stressed out or just fall apart in those moments, like it's okay to have your moments. Oh yeah. I, like you Mm -hmm. said, tears at some point, like I've been, you know, on the floor in bed, just bawling my eyes out because of things that happen. But, but then to pick yourself up and come up with those solutions and to implement all those and keep marching ahead, that's the sign of a true entrepreneur. Yeah. And there's, 
I I actually collect quotes. I love quotes. I've been collecting quotes for years. I circle back on quotes to fire me up and just kind of keep me, um, you know, keep the thought process. If you're learning from something, um, keeping the ability around to go back to it, to that lesson. And what's one of your favorites? There's a couple. Well, there's a couple that are coming to mind right now. One of them is a mouse drowning in a bucket of cream has two options. He can either give up and die, or he can work so hard that he churns that cream into butter and walk out. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And the second is I'm the kind of guy who gets the root canal, um, which... (laughs) To me, just says like, if you've got pain, find out what it is, even if that's more painful, uh-huh. right? Um, so the the only mistake is a mistake you don't learn from. And if, if you're willing to own up to those mistakes and figure out why did they happen? What can I do to prevent them in the future? If, you're, if you have the confidence to talk to the people around you and ask them for their advice and their, their you know, to be hard on you. Um, and don't fight back. Don't argue your point. You know, especially with someone who's leaving your company. If you do an exit interview, those are so valuable. They're leaving your company. You don't have to argue with them if they tell you that something didn't work for them and try and prove your point. Um, just take what they said and and uh, tell them okay and write it down and learn from it. And that what I mean. The thing that upset me was this guy who was a leader because he had followers. Um, not because of positional leadership. Um, people, people listened when he spoke. You know, he's a quiet guy. He's a hardworking mm-hmm. guy. And he was upset with things that he didn't tell me about. And I really wish he had just told me. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe there's something about me that was intimidating um, that he felt like he couldn't bring these things to my attention. I get it. When you've got a boss and you're an employee, it's really hard to work up the courage and go talk to them about something that's not working for you, but mm-hmm. it can be very valuable. And hopefully the the people out there who want to be bosses are listening and saying, what can I do to make myself available um, you know, to give people the trust mm-hmm. um, that they can bring that to my attention? I wish that he had felt that and I wish that he had given me those things while he worked here because he changed Citizen Hound after he left and he could have changed it while he was here. And ever since that day, mm-hmm. everyone everyone who leaves, I do an exit interview because of how much I gained from him. Yep. And it's eating that humble pie. <laughs> and it is. Yeah, yeah. Not taking it personally and learning how can we grow from everything. And mm-hmm. people, one of my big interview questions, um, I have a bunch of questions in a document. I always ask everybody. One of them is, what um, criticism have you been given? or that you give yourself that you've learned from or are growing actively growing from now. Mm-hmm. And I always, it takes people a second to come up with the idea. And I, I just say, um, let me go first. Mine is taking things personally mm-hmm. when I shouldn't. It's just business sometimes, but business is personal. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my baby. Yeah. And uh, you have to remove yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And for the entrepreneurs out there listening um, who are thinking about starting their business or taking their business to the next level uh, and want to gain more freedom from their business, what would you tell them? What's the one piece of advice that you think that will totally change their life? 
It's actually an easy answer. Self-development first before you ask for it in others. And that's the, uh-huh. the new mission statement of management here at Citizen Hound. In fact, for the managers, you grow a company by growing people. And our complementary management triad is focused doggedly on growth, <laughs> first in ourselves, then in others, as we dig up happiness everywhere we go. So it's just saying that at the core of our leadership, we understand that growth starts in ourselves first. And we have a leadership book club between the three of us. So oh, I'll, be cool. leading, I'll be reading leadership books and I'll be highlighting the whole way through. And then it'll be my day to present what I've highlighted. They'll have leadership books and they'll be highlighting. And they're different styles of leadership books. So like Cynthia's goal, eventual goal is to be a D1 women's rugby league coach. And so mm-hmm. all her books are about coach coaches. You know, there's been fantastic coaches and what what do they do to constantly be at the top of their field? And Eric is the guy who runs the systems and processes, so it's a lot about productivity and the four disciplines of execution, things like that. So we're focused on ourselves. If if you want to hit that next level, you need to focus on yourself first mm-hmm. and uh, read business books, read books that that fire you up. You know, you heard me talk about the core principle earlier, the hedgehog concept that we had to come up with. The, the book, Good to Great, which I highly recommend. The three things you need to focus on in order to take that leap is your hedgehog concept, your passion, doing something that you're passionate about because you cannot get to the next level if you're excellent at this thing, but you're not really passionate about it. And then the third thing is figuring out what is your economic driver. So for us, it's like clients over time. So the longer I can keep a client, the more that's how you increase your, your revenue stream. Mm-hmm. So you know those three things we focus on a lot. And I imagine that most people in this business are in it because of a passion. I hope that they are. And whatever business you're in, if it's not the dog care business, hopefully it's one you're passionate about. Because, you know, you earlier you said you bet my wife is happy that I've created something that I can step away from and enjoy outside time with her. With well, she says I'm a workaholic, <laughs> uh, and I've had to catch myself because I enjoy what I do so much. Right. I like I when I built the website, I'm up till five in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm having fun, mm-hmm. and when I'm creating a new you know google spreadsheet that's helping everybody at the company understand things more clearly like i'm just i'm so focused mm-hmm. um and i do not mind opening it back up at 8 p.m. if i've got nothing better to do mm-hmm. some people do crochet some people do whatever hobby they've got this is business and hobby mm-hmm. so it's fun Exactly. And so you got the passion, you got the hedgehog concept, and you've got your economic driver. The big thing is read. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law just came into town, and she was, you know, reorganizing our bookshelf. <laughs> she goes, Brittany, mm-hmm. do you read anything besides business books and self-help books? Mm-hmm. Like, how boring is this? And I'm like, no, but I love I them. <laughs> I love it too. It's it's like philosophizing. You it know, is. I sit there, and I I stop on a page, and I look inspired. up at the ceiling, and I'm like. Yeah, you need the inspiration mm-hmm. and it's just fun to read, you know, 15 words and you're like, "Oh my god, 
Mm-hmm. I've been doing that thing wrong. I got to change. I got to change something. This is great. Like it gives you huge insights. Yeah. Um, My most to, favorite thing is to get on an airplane and have a new business book that I picked up at the airport. And mm-hmm. they've I'll, got great business books in the in the uh, in the airport libraries there. Uh huh. And I will just blow through one of those books, but then sometimes I'll read something, and then I I end up journaling for you know two hours goes by, and, uh-huh. and it's like this huge surge of of creativity. And oh my god, I love that feeling. <laughs> exactly, I love that feeling too. And I think that that's what you need to recognize to understand if you want to grow a big business. Mm-hmm. You have to have that fire and that that enjoyment of the process mm-hmm. and that reflective nature, stop and think and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really important. Well, I have enjoyed this interview so, so much. I am super fired up, actually. You gave me a lot of really good <laughs> ideas. <laughs> Great. And I want to go pick up some of those books you mentioned too. So David, how can our listeners find you if they would like to ask you any questions or if they want to uh, learn more about Citizen Hound? Um, our website has all my contact information on it. Email's the best way to get in touch, david at citizenhoundsf.com. Yeah, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you, David. This has been so, so much fun and I hope that you have a great day getting back out in the field and I hope we can talk soon. All right. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Thanks, David. All right. Bye-bye. You are a total boss for hanging with us and listening to this episode of Handling Business. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, drop us a line at hello at myhandler.com. That's hello at M-Y-H-A-N-D-L-R.com. If you'd like to connect with fellow rockstar entrepreneurs, find us at MyHandler on Facebook and Instagram at M-Y-H-A-N-D-L-R. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can use Handler to scale and automate your business with an on-demand booking app, fleet tracking, and automatic payments, Find us at myhandler.com. All right, now go forth and have a successful day.